Take two. <laughs> well, good morning. <laughs> hey, great, great to be with you again. And uh, we're going to be going into our time of teaching uh, in just a second. So if you're new to Rocky Peak, a special welcome to you. Uh, we're in the midst of this series and uh, 11 Laws to Live By, and we'll be launching in in a second. But inside of your bulletin is a white note sheet that's called Message Notes, and that'll help you follow along. You'll definitely want to have that out today uh, as we go into our time of teaching. So let's pray together, and then... Uh, We'll talk about law number 10. Father, thank you so much for the work you're doing here at Rocky Peak. We're just excited about it. Or week uh, by week, the reports coming in of lives changing, people excited about your word, life group things happening, uh, people coming to Christ for the first time, people coming back to you. It's just, it's just amazing. And we're so thankful. And we just want to acknowledge as a church that you are our leader. It's all about you. And as we come today to study your word, we ask that once again, you'd come and be our rabbi, our teacher, and you would open our eyes to see things that maybe we've uh, not seen before. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you again, and we're continuing the series that we've been in now for quite a few weeks called 11 Laws to Live By. And I always like to take about 60 seconds at the start of the message, because I know a lot of you are here for the very first time, and so I don't want you to misunderstand what this series is about. Um, and we just kind of step back and tell you a little bit about the 11 laws. Um, when I talk about 11 laws to live by, I'm not talking about laws in a legalistic sense, like, like the laws of the land or man-made laws, the kind of laws that if you break, you get fined or you go to prison or you have to pay, you know, uh, do something, uh, you know, to kind of satisfy the authorities. They're, they're really more like the laws of nature. And you know how the laws of nature work? They simply describe, this is how life works. You're studying biology or chemistry or astrophysics. This is just the way it works. You know, you put these chemicals together. This is what happens. And so they're laws of nature. Well, the 11 laws are more like that, except instead of telling us how life works in the physical realm, they tell us how life works in the spiritual realm, in our relationship with God, in our relationships with one another. And so today we come to law number 10, and I'm calling it the law of perspective. And here's how it goes. Law number 10 says that this life is all about the next life. Now, this law flows out of Jesus' teaching like most of the laws do. If you study the teaching of Jesus, one thing you'll notice right away is that he always was lived in two worlds. He, he was constantly teaching there's two worlds. There's this age and the coming age. There's this life and the next life. There's the life you can see, the life you can't see. There's the kingdom of earth, there's the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and really, you know, it wasn't so much that like you live this life and then you go into the next life. It's that they're really like parallel universes, so to speak. I mean, they're both going on. Like heaven, his kingdom's going on, the kingdom of heaven's going on, whether we're aware of it or not. You know, like God's on his throne, a lot of stuff's going on in the unseen realm. Um, but this, this kind of teaching undergirded everything that Jesus said. In fact, it's really hard to make sense of Jesus' teaching without really understanding this emphasis on the next life. It just doesn't even make sense. Like, like let me give you some examples. They're in your note sheet. And what Jesus taught us is that if we're gonna live well in this life, we have to be living for the next life. And so here's some examples. Matthew 6. This is a passage that talks about our uh, wallets, our pocketbooks. He says, uh, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. So that would be this life, right? This, this realm. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Okay, so that's the next life, the coming age. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we got the two realms, two dimensions, two worlds, two ages. This life, the next life. Let's look at the next one. John 12, 25. The man who loves his life, and he's talking about his life in this world, as it will become obvious, he will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see that again? We got this world, we got eternal life. Again, all of his teaching is based on this two-kingdom, two-age kind of uh, paradigm. Look at the next one. Uh, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Blessed are you when men insult you. Now, how many of you feel particularly blessed when you get insulted in your life? Yeah. And yet Jesus said, hey, you know, you really are. You're, you're blessed when people insult you, unless if they're insulting you for the right reasons. Um, 
There's sometimes you get insulted, it's just your own fault that there's no glory in that. But blessed are you when people insult you, they persecute you, they falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in where? In heaven. So he says the reason you should get excited when people are insulting you or persecuting because of me is because, man, your future is looking good. You know, this is really going to pay off for you in the long run, and so you should be really, you know, look through, through that lens. Now look at the next passage. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Pretty extreme. Jesus would sometimes say really extreme things to kind of get his point across, and this was one of them. And he said, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into where? Hell. Okay, so we got, so what I want you to catch, here's all I want you to catch, is that in Jesus' teaching, this, this paradigm that there are two kingdoms, two dimensions, two um, universes, so to speak, two eras, it undergirds everything he teaches and it informs all of his thinking. And what he's gonna teach us is that if you wanna live life well today, then you have to live it in light of that day. Now, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, just briefly, but I wanna go back to this analogy because I think it's really helpful. I think when Jesus looked at this life, he saw it as sort of the high school of eternity, okay? Um, now, now, help me out. Now, you remember how it was in high school. Now, I know a lot of you know how high school is right now, but so you don't have to remember, you just have to, to think. But, um, but if you remember how it was in high school, you remember how like life kind of rose and fall, fell on what happened in high school. It's like, it seemed like it was the end of all life. So like if you didn't make it, you got cut from a, a certain team you were trying to, to you know, get on to. It was like the end of life. Uh, you didn't get asked to the prom, or you got asked to the prom, but your hair looked bad that day, you know, or it was the week of the prom and you got a big pimple on your face. I mean, it was just, it was like life comes to an end, right? It's, just, it's all about right now. But the reality is, after you graduate from high school and you move on in life, you look back on high school, you totally have a different view of it, don't you? You look back as, yes, it's a very important time in life. Hopefully it was a good time in life. But the reason it's so important is because it prepares you for the rest of life. It's like the choices you make there set your course for the rest of your life. The friends you make, the, the relationships you set, the standards you set for yourself, whether you, you're for your career or for whether you go to college, those decisions you make. So high school is incredibly important, but not because it's the end of life, but because it is the beginning of life, see? Now that's what Jesus says. He says this life is like the high school of eternity. This life is incredibly important because it's preparing us for our future that goes on forever. And then he went one step farther. Then Jesus uh, decided to not only be killed, but to rise from the dead. Now why is that so important? It's because he shows us what life is like after the grave. That's the point of it. That he not only said that this life was just the, the entryway into eternity, he died and rose again to show us what it was like, you see? And from that point on, the whole New Testament, this becomes a pivotal theme of the New Testament. You cannot look at a page in the New Testament without somewhere on it talking about the next life. It's all about the next life. This life is all about the next life. Now, here's what I'm gonna suggest today. That a, a pivotal part of our growth as followers of Jesus is to come to a place where this becomes reality to us, where the next life becomes very real. And frankly, for many believers, it just isn't. But let me suggest this, that one of the marks of immaturity is that we live in the present only. That's a mark of immaturity. For example, if you have a, a toddler, it's really difficult to talk to them about their future. They're just not into their future, right? It's really hard to say like, hey, you know, you should really make some sacrifices today because someday you're going to college, it's gonna make a huge difference, you know? If you don't learn how to control yourself now, it's gonna impact the rest of your life. I mean, they're just really not interested. They just wanna know, like now, I want what I want now. One of the marks of maturity is that we're able to start putting aside the present for the future. We're able to start saying, what are the, how am I gonna live today so it impacts my future? That's a mark of maturity. 
Well, it's same spiritually too. One of the marks of a mature believer is that they live every day in light of that day. They're really clear on this. And you see it, kind of the most mature believers are like the guys who wrote the Bible. You see it, that's where they live. That's the realm where they live, living every day in light of that day. And so today we're gonna talk about how to develop a future focus in our life. Uh, it's a key part of us as a church moving forward into the future God has for us. So let's jump in. We've got two steps I wanna focus on there. If you wanna develop a future focus in your life, the first thing that you have to do is you have to recapture the reality of the next life. Somehow we have to get clear on this. We have to get really clear on the reality of the next life. It's not just something we believe that when you die you go to heaven or whatever. It's like, no, 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 it's, it's real. Uh, it's, you know, like for many people, I think for most people, the way we see our lives is we all expect to live to about what? You know, I don't know. You expect to live, let's say maybe to about your 80. Unless you're 80, then you expect to live longer, right? But let's just say 80, 90, whatever your, your date is. And so most of us live our life as if that is the end. And so we see our lives in terms of diminishing returns. We, we look at our life and we say, okay, uh, I'm 30, so I've got 50 years left. Oh, now I'm 40, I've got 40 years left. I, I'm like 30, I've got 30 years left. We see ourselves winding down. You know, we're heading towards the end. We're running out of time. And it's like, no, no, no. It's like, you're getting closer to graduation. And when you graduate, that's when life begins. Your life isn't winding down, you're getting ready for real life. You see, that's the whole point. And somehow we have to recapture this way that Jesus saw life, because it's totally the way that he saw it. Now, there's a couple reasons why. You say, well, why have we lost this in Christian circles? Because I think we really have. Um, you know, when was the last time you heard a message about heaven? It's, it's just like in Christian, we just don't really talk about it anymore. And I've asked myself the question, so why is it? You've got the New Testament, it's on every page. It's like totally, like you can't, you can't read a page without talking about it. And yet as Christians, we often don't talk, well why is that? And I, I, I think there's a lot of reasons, but a couple come to my mind that's like right at the top. One is, I think, as, as Christians, we got tired of getting mocked, you know? That the world around us will oftentimes, will criticize us, at least over my lifetime I've seen this happen, Christians will be criticized. It's like, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? Or you're, you're pie in the sky, or you're an idealist, or you're living for, you know, forever, whatever, you're no good now. And the reality is, if you look through history of Western civilization, it's always the people who believe most in the future, the next life, who did the most the good in this life. That's the reality. It's the, it's the Christians who built the hospitals and the orphanages and all the people who totally believe in the next life. I think another reason why we often give up this teaching is because we're such a now generation. You know, it's like, well, what can Jesus do for me now? You know? And so, and so we've structured a whole way of thinking of, let me tell you why you need Jesus in your life, because what he'll do for you right now. And there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus will do things for you right now. But the biggest thing Jesus is gonna do for you is take care of your future, you see? And so in a desire to be relevant to our culture, we've given up and retreated from the reality of the next life. But there's a big problem about, with that. When you retreat from the reality of the next life, you lose your motivation for living this life well, see? It's, it's being clear about what's coming down the tracks that motivates us today. You know, some of you are probably athletes. Like if you're a triathlon, you know, triathlete, what motivates you? It's the fact you've got a race coming up in six months, right? That's motivating. You know, if you're a student, what causes you to study for your exams? Well, you're gonna, you have a test coming up. It's being clear about what's coming that helps us to live well today. So, we need to recapture this teaching and the reality of the future. And uh, we're gonna start doing that today. And we're gonna take out our Bibles right now. Let's go to John chapter 14. I wanna look at just three passages that are just examples. We could pick a million of them. But let's start with something Jesus said, John 14. Verse 
Now, this passage is a conversation Jesus is having with his disciples the night that he's arrested. And so he knows he's about to leave planet Earth. He's trying to prepare his guys for this. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, verse one. Trust in God, trust also in me. Of course, their hearts were troubled because they knew he was about ready. You know, they didn't know exactly what was gonna happen. They knew something bad was about to happen. And verse two, Jesus uses this analogy of the future. Now, it's a picture, it's an analogy, it's like a parable, okay? But he says, let me put it this way. In my father's house are many rooms. He says, like in my dad's place, we got all kinds of rooms. Let me just kind of break it down simply for you. In my dad's place, he's got a big house, lots of rooms. Kind of think like, you know, Motel 6 or maybe not. Think, um, <laughs> think like uh, Mandalay Resort over in Oxnard, you know, right there, beautiful flagship of Embassy Suites. Think that, okay? In my father's house, there's all kinds of rooms. And he says, uh, if it weren't so, I would have told you. Uh, now he says, and here's the deal. Um, I, um, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna turn your beds down. I'm gonna put mints on your pillows. I'm getting it all ready for you, you know? It's an incredible place. And he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and, um, to take you to be with me so you can be with me where I am. Now what I want you to catch is how matter of fact Jesus is about this. The guy is about to be arrested in a few hours and then tortured and killed. Okay, he's very matter of fact. Hey guys, here's what's happening. I'm checking out. I'm gonna go see my dad. He's got a great place. I'm turning down the sheets. I'm coming back. I'm getting you. That's the way it's gonna work. You see? This is Jesus' view of reality. This is exactly how he looks at it. The next life is not some ethereal thing. It's just the very next thing on our agenda. It's on his calendar. We're going there. Let's get ready. Okay? And then, of course, he died and rose again to show us that he knew what he was talking about. And once he came back to life, guess what? They all caught the vision. Hey, death isn't the end. Death is the beginning. What can man do to us? Let him kill us. Who cares? We're ready to go. We've already seen what they did to Jesus. He died. He came back. Life begins in. So what's the big deal? And it changed their view of everything. So let's take a look at one of those guys, the Apostle Paul. Let's go to uh, the book of 1 Timothy, to the right in your Bible, chapter 6. Now, in chapter six and verse 17, Paul is writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and telling him how to counsel those in the church who have, uh, are wealthy, who are well off financially. Verse 17, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now I want you to underline something. Underline that phrase, in this present world. Remember, the law number 10 is this life's all about the next life, so he's gonna talk about two worlds here. He says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Now in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation, now here's the next phrase to underline, for the coming age. See that? So we've got two ages again. The present age, the coming age. He says the way to prepare is to use your money well, and so it's a great investment. It will pay off in the next coming age. You don't want to be just rich in this life and then poor in the next life. So you want to use your money well in this life so you can be rich here and then rich there. See, that's what he's saying. These, these people who are rich in the congregation. He says, but notice what he says next so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see that? As the Apostle Paul looked at these two ages, the present age and the coming age, he says this life is like life with a small L. The next life is life with a capital L. It's life that's truly life. You see? This life is not truly life. This life is kind of like a deathly life. The next life is truly life. It's all about life. You know, we, we use the expression like, man, that guy's really alive, or hey, we're living well. Well, guess what? The Bible uses that too, and it says this life 
is, is like a deathly life compared to the life there. We're gonna live, they're gonna be really living there. Let's look at one other passage. Let's go to 1 Peter, to the right in your Bible even farther. And uh, tabs are still on sale, five bucks out there. So it's really cool. Last service, this young lady came up, and she had been one of the welcome desserts at our house a couple weeks ago, and it's all new to her. This whole Christianity thing is all new, and it was so great. She came up and said, look at my tabs. I got my tabs on, and, and uh, she says, so cool. It's like, I just keep thinking, like, where else can you feel cool for five bucks? This is so great. So, 113, Apostle Peter. Therefore, he's talking, writing to the Christians, therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. In other words, you know, be on high alert. Uh, be ready to go. Get with it. Um, be on your toes. Be self-controlled. And here comes our phrase, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. He says, how do you live this life well? Well, you gotta be on your toes. You gotta be self-controlled. You gotta make sure you're you know, kind of focused in and he says, and set your hope in life, like lock on to the future. Set your hope completely on what God's gonna do in your life when Jesus comes back or when you go to meet with him, go to be with him. He says, lock on to that. Set your hope fully on the grace, what's gonna happen when Jesus comes back. And so we see this on every page of the New Testament this future focus, that the secret of living this day well is to live this day in light of that day. Now, there's a second thing we have to do, though. The first thing is we have to recapture the reality of the next life. The second thing we need to do is we need to reconstruct a fresh vision of the future. We need to get a better view, view of the future. Now, I, I know this is church here, but can we just be honest for a minute? Here's what I'm willing to bet. That, that most of us in this room, that when we think of the future, although we want to go to heaven, because it sure beats the alternative, that the images that come to our mind when we think about heaven or the next life, are less than compelling, you know? Um, I think when most of us think about the future, we, we think like this. Um, you know in Hollywood, whenever they do a movie and someone dies and goes to heaven or whatever, you know how the camera gets all like blurry? Like this foggy effect comes in. And then people are just kind of moving like this, kind of slowly. And there's real ethereal, sometimes you kind of move through things. I, I, you know, maybe we think of like clouds and harps. And can I be honest? Like, it really doesn't do much for me. You know? I mean, if I'm going to be honest, like, if I had a choice, I'd rather stay here if that's what heaven's like. You know, for much of my life, that's kind of how I thought heaven would be like. And I just assumed, well, I guess that's what's going to happen. The first thing that happens in heaven is they give you a lobotomy. And then they put like morphine drip in your arm, and now you're happy forever, you know? It's not a lot to look forward to, but hey, once you're there, you won't know the difference. Yeah. I think for a lot of us, we think of that. We, we, try to get, we try to get excited, but you know, like we just think of like, like for example, you know, worship. Like, like I really love worship. You probably picked that up. I mean, I love worship. But even after half an hour, an hour, hour and a half, I'm pretty much done. You know what I'm saying? Like forever is a long time. I mean, some of you think the choruses are repetitive now. I mean, how many times can you sing holy, holy, holy? You know, it's like about a number, you know, 800 years into it. I was like, I get it, I get it. Can we like change the tune? You know, glory, glory, glory or something? Okay, so I think you're with me now. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Is that for most of us, that's the kind of image we have of heaven. And like, who can get excited about that? Like, if we're gonna really get excited about the future and develop a future focus, we need to go back to the Bible because I don't know where these images come from half the time. Like, Jesus never talked about floating on clouds. He never talked about playing harps. 
They said nothing of the kind. So where do we get these ideas? You know, we need to come back to the word and really think this thing through. Some of you have probably read some of John Eldridge's books. Any of you guys read that? Women aren't really supposed to read these things. So, but guys read those like Wild at Heart and books like that. Uh, and uh, he wrote a book, his third book in, I think, called Journey of Desire, which, by the way, is a great book on heaven. And, and both men and women can read it um, without going blind. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm going to quote him a couple times today. He just really hits the nail on the head on this thing. It's on your note sheet. So it says, uh, nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending worship service. And without giving it much more thought, and that's critical, that's what we're doing today. We're giving it some more thought. Without giving it much more thought, we've settled on an image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky. One great hymn after another. Forever and ever. And our heart sinks. We lose heart. We turn once more to the present to find what life we can. Eternity ends up having no bearing on our search for life whatsoever. And I think he's absolutely right. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about what we know about the next life, okay? Now, I'm first to admit that the Bible doesn't give us like the full-length movie. You know, it does not tell us Here's exactly what's gonna happen. It's more really like it gives us like a trailer of like a preview of coming attractions. You know, just kind of little snippets here and here and here. But those snippets are very important if you study them because they kind of tell you what the movie's about and whether you wanna see the movie, you know? And so it's very important we look at them. So um, I wanna talk a little bit about what the Bible says about the future, but we have very limited time today. And so there's a lot of things I can't talk about. Like here's some things I would like to talk about but I'm not gonna talk about. You caught me, didn't you? Anyway, um, so for example, I would love to talk about the relationship with God we're gonna have in heaven, but I'm not gonna talk about that because I think we all think, yeah, it's gonna be good. Um, I'm, I could talk about the relationship we're gonna have with one another and, and how the quality of relationships would be better than any friendship or love you've ever experienced here on planet Earth. And, and that would be really cool, but I think people kinda like, yeah, I kinda get that, kinda get that. Um, we could talk about transformation, how you're finally gonna be the person you've always wanted to be, that you're gonna be the person that God designed you to be. It's gonna be incredible. Now, you might have a little bit more interest in that one, but we're not gonna talk about that one, okay? So, but I wanna talk about two, two critical pieces of this whole heaven situation that I think really getting us in the way of us getting excited about the future. And to get at them, I'm gonna use two words, okay? There in your notes, you got two blanks, give me two words just to get at these things. The first thing I'm gonna suggest is that the Bible teaches that the next life will be very physical. Okay, that's the word, physical. Now, like I said before, I think this is the last thing that comes to our mind when we think of the next life. We think of clouds, we think of wispy, we think of ethereal, we think of fog, we think of ghosts. The last thing we think of is physical, tangible, concrete. And yet I believe that the Bible would suggest that the next life will be at least as physical, if not more physical than this life. Let's talk about why. Before we do that, let me me give you an illustration. C.S. Lewis wrote a book one time called The Great Divorce, which was not about divorce. It's it's about um, heaven. And in this novel, he, he sets it to where there's a busload of people who have just died. They don't realize they're dead, but they have just died, and they get to take a bus trip, like a field trip, to heaven. And when they get there, it shocks them because heaven is so much more real than earth, more physical, more concrete. The main character puts it this way, and I put it on your note sheet. He says, it was the light, the grass, the trees that were different. They were made of some different substance, so much solider than things in our country that men were ghosts by comparison. Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and I tried to pluck a daisy that was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even iron, but like diamond. There was a leaf, a young tender beech leaf, lying at the grass beside it. I tried to pick the leaf up. My heart almost cracked with the effort, and I believe I did just raise it. But I had to let it go at once. It was heavier than a sack of coal. 
Now what's Lewis doing? Lewis is trying to communicate this biblical teaching that the next life is truly life. It is more real, more tangible, more physical. He's challenging the common misconceptions that we often have about the next life. Now you say, well, is there reason from the Bible to really believe that? Or is it just Lewis's imagination? I would say there is. There's two forms of evidence in the New Testament that are critical for us understanding how physical the next life is gonna be. The first line of evidence has to do with Jesus' own body after his resurrection. You remember that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared many times. Now, you'll be studying this more in your life group homework this week. Um, in fact, for most of the groups, this will be your final group uh, of, this, of the summer, before the summer, and you'll be studying, uh, celebrating communion this week in your groups. But you'll be also doing some homework on this. Okay, so. So in Luke 24, we're told that Jesus, when he, after his post-resurrection body, he had new capabilities that I'm really looking forward to. Because you have to understand this. What the New Testament teaches is that we will get bodies just like his. So we're getting upgrades is bottom line. And so Jesus had new capabilities. Like he could just basically do the Star Trek thing, kind of beam himself around, you know. And so he would like show up all of a sudden on the road to Emmaus or he'd be in the upper room and behind locked doors he'd just show up and we don't really understand how he did that. So he had these amazing new abilities to just transport himself. And oftentimes we read that and we assume that therefore he was ethereal, that he wasn't concrete. But the reality is, as you read the stories, he's totally concrete. He shows up on the road to Emmaus. He's walking along with two guys. They look at him, just think he's a visitor. He looks normal. You know, his feet are making noise on the ground, dot, 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 just like their feet. His clothes are flapping. You know, he's just, he just looks very normal, very physical. Comes to dinner. He offers to pray for the meal. He takes the bread. He, he breaks the bed. You see, very physical stuff. It's at that point they realize who he is, and he does his Star Trek thing and leaves. He shows up in the upper room with his disciples behind the locked door. They're blown away. They think he's a ghost. Now, why do they think he's a ghost? Because they're just like us. They think the next life is ethereal. They think that when you go to the next life, you don't have like a real body, something you can touch. So they, they, they take a look at him. They think he's a ghost. He says, look, I'm not a ghost. He says, look, give me something to eat. Give me that Rubio's taco there. The fish one, yeah. And he, he eats the taco. He, uh, he has a meal with them. They're like, he's, they're still looking at him, not sure he's really, hey, come on, guys, come over. Look, touch me, flesh and blood. You, look, here I am, you know? Look at the nail prints. Same guy. You see, their view of the future was that when you die, you become this ethereal kind of spirit floating thing. Now, Jesus is totally challenging their paradigm. He's like, no, no, no. That's not how the future is, guys. This is, what the future, this is what your future is going to You're going to get one of these one day. You're going to get a body like mine. So in the New Testament, there's a verse here I put there for you. Philippians chapter 3. says that Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. You see that? He has the re- he's got the new addition already. When, when he comes back or we go to be with him, we're gonna get our new addition. We're gonna get a body like him. But it's not just that. It's not just his body. There's also another line of evidence. And that's what the Bible tells us about the remaking of planet Earth. In the book of Romans, in chapter eight, the apostle Paul talks about that. He says, this planet is a decaying planet. He says that this planet groans currently in its bondage to decay. And it longs to be released into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. In other words, the earth is longing to get remade in the upgrade just like our bodies are going to get the upgrade. See, that's what it's saying. And so Paul's vision of the future is not that the earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to be remade, redone. And this is also what the Apostle Peter says. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to, towards the end of your New Testament to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
We'll start at verse 10. <laughs> Peter says, the day of the Lord, that's a way of talking about when Jesus comes back, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And catch this, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Okay, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be demolished. Like you're doing a remodel or, or like you're just putting up a new home, you're gonna lay bare the lot to get rid of the old one, totally. We're gonna put a new house on. But then in verse 13, look what it says. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new what? Earth, you see that? A new earth, physical earth. The home of righteousness. See, God has plans for planet Earth. He's going to remake it. Now, exactly how it works out, I don't know. I've not seen the whole movie. You know, it's, I can't be dogmatic about this, but it seems very clear from Scripture that God is going to remake this universe for us to live in. It's gonna be the home of righteousness. If you have a physical body, you need a physical home to live in, don't you? You, you, you can't just have a physical body and like, you know, no other physical things in the universe. And so he's gonna remake it. I love what um, Dallas Willard says about, you know, Dallas is over at USC, philosophy prof there, Christian philosophy prof. But he says from his book, Divine Conspiracy, he says, we can be sure that heaven in the sense of our afterlife is just our future in this universe. There is not another universe besides this one. God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. And much of the difficulty in having a believable picture of heaven and hell today comes from the centuries-long tendency to locate them in another reality outside the created universe. If there's anything we know about the physical universe, it surely is that it would be quite adequate to eternal purposes. We may be sure that our life, yes, the familiar one, we are so well acquainted with, will never stop. We should be anticipating what we will be doing 300 or 1,000 or 10,000 years from now in this marvelous universe. Isn't that great? See what he's saying? He's saying this paradigm that we have of 80 years and then we're getting closer and closer to the end, he says we need to kick the door down in that thing and say, no, 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 we're gonna go on. And we're gonna be in this universe. I remember about 10 years when God began to show me this stuff in scripture and just began to really challenge my view of the future. It began to change my life and I'll tell you one major practical way is I've always, there's many things that I've wanted to do in my life. You know, go here, go there, go to the Swiss Alps, go to the Caribbean, do, you know, go to Tahiti, do these things. And you know, like I'm, I'm getting older, you know, and I haven't done all those things and I just like feel like time was running out. And you know what it did to me? It felt like, you know what, that's totally cool because if I don't get it now, I'll get it then. It's like it just took the pressure off. Because if you think of this earth, the Bible says calls it a decaying world. <laughs> Can you imagine how cool the next one will be? If this world is a decaying world can produce places like Half Dome and the Caribbean and the Swiss Alps, can you even imagine how cool the next place is gonna be? I mean, God looks at this and says, oh, don't look at that. That was like pretty cool one time, but it's really decaying, it's run down. That's not really what I'm about. Let me show you what I'm gonna do next, you see. see God looks at this world, he looks like an old house that's been not taken care of in years and it's just fallen apart. We think it's really cool, it's the only house we've known. He's like, no, 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 there's something else coming. Now, number two, the second word that really challenges our view of the future is the word action. Have you ever wondered what you're gonna do in heaven other than sing forever? <laughs> other than the morphine drip? Um, I think most of us don't have a clue what we're gonna do in heaven. In fact, we, we just, it, it seems kind of boring to be honest. Um, and so when we look to the Bible, we say, well, where did this idea come from that heaven's gonna be static? That heaven's going to be, you know, just linear, flat-lined, you know? Um, 
Aren't we going to grow in heaven? Aren't we going to change in heaven? Aren't we going to learn and be creative and things like that? I mean, do you really think that the God of all creativity creates us with all these amazing abilities on planet Earth and then when he comes back and we go to be with him, he just takes us out and we just sit around all the time? You know, does that really make sense? I like what uh, Eldridge says again. He says, I think the fear of being bored is an unspoken fear of many people about the life that's coming. After all, the never-ending sing-along in the sky isn't exactly breathtaking. Spending a weekend at the beach beats that hands down. Our lives in the coming kingdom will be surrounded with great beauty and our hearts filled with love, but what will we do with ourselves forever? I've yet to meet a Christian who has the faintest notion of what this life will entail beyond the eternal church service. I guess it will be good, sighed one friend, but guesses are not good enough. We must know. And I think he's right. So what did Jesus say about the next life? Well, here's the, the cool thing. He didn't really talk about it in terms of sitting around with harps. He talked about it in terms of promotions and responsibility and new challenges. For example, in Luke chapter 19, he tells a story of, it's, it's a parable about his leaving planet Earth and his return to planet Earth. And he tells a story about this one man who was chosen to become the king of an area. And to become the king, he had to travel to the capital of the empire where he'd be crowned and then he'd go back and run this part of the kingdom. And so that represents Jesus who's going to receive the kingdom, going to heaven and coming back. That's, okay, that's his part of the analogy. And then he says, um, while he's gone, this rich man has his three top vice presidents. He calls them in, turns over all his assets, and says, I want you to run the company while I'm gone. And so when he comes back from getting the kingdom, he, it's time to meet with his vice presidents to see how they did. And of course, this represents us, right? We're, we're running his company while he's gone. And so he meets with them, and two of the guys have done a great job running the company, made a lot of profit. One of the guys was real slacker, lazy, didn't do a thing. And so he gets fired in a big time way. But the first vice president that's done such a good job, now remember the king's come back now and he's got this new kingdom that needs to be managed, right? That's the whole point. The, look what he says, it's on your note sheet. This is what, what, Jesus, what, what he says. He says, well done my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, the finances while he was gone, take charge of 10 cities. Now that's Jesus' view of the future. His view of the future is that if we are faithful serving him now, that when he comes back or when we go to him, we will get expanded responsibilities and challenges in the next life. See, that's his view of the future. Isn't that different than our view so many times? In Matthew 25, he tells a similar story. And there he says, uh, to you, uh, you are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter in to the joy of your master. So notice there's joy, but it's not the joy of kicking back and having nothing to do. It's the joy of increased responsibility. Now, I don't know exactly what heaven's gonna be like, but I think that you just take this life with all our creativity and responsibility and challenges and victories and the way you stretch, I think we're going to a new level. That's what I really think. I think Jesus' teaching suggests that. I like how Ortberg works at John Ortberg. He says, from, the, from the, uh, the story of the talents, that parable we just talked about, we learn that heaven will be nothing at all like an, et an eternal retirement village. In fact, heaven will be that place where we finally experience the fullness of adventure, creativity, and fruitfulness that we were made for. You can be sure that the throne is not a lazy boy. Part of the reward of heaven is that we will finally see the full potential of humanity realized, including ours. Heaven will be the ultimate place of realized potential. There'll be no unopened gifts there. Isn't that great? So let's talk about this. So we wrap this. Let me talk to this as a church. Why did I include this as one of the 10, 11 laws? Why? Because I truly believe this with all of my heart that we cannot live well in this life unless we're living for the next life. It's critical. And so as a church, I wanted to mark out this day, mark out this weekend, mark out this time and say, 
as your pastor, I will always be calling you to be living for the next life. I will always be saying, don't forget, this life is about the next life. I'll always be calling you to live this day in light of that day. That's my job. My job is to help you remember what is true about life. I consider that my most important job as your pastor, to remind you what is true about life because it's so easy for us all to forget, me included. And my job is to say, remember what Jesus taught us about life. Let's not forget, you see? And so Jesus comes to us today and he says, men and women, this life, this life is the high school of eternity. This life is all about that life. And to live this life well, you have to live every day in light of that day. And let me talk to those of you here, especially who are in your retirement years or you're approaching retirement years. Because this is so important, especially for you. Because, see, you are in your senior year of high school right now. You know how your senior year works. It's like, hey, it's time to buckle down. You know, we gotta graduate. <laughs> you know, we gotta get these credits done. We got these classes done. We're applying to college. We gotta get those transcripts in. I mean, you may have goofed off in high school, but this is time to get serious because the rest of your life depends on this year. We need to get it done. Maybe the end of your junior year. From the end of your junior year on, right? That's how high school works. So if you're getting closer to your graduation, this is not the time for you to be slowing down. This is time for you to be picking up speed because you're going to be graduating before the rest of us. And you want to make sure you have your diploma in hand when you get there. So your bodies will be decaying and falling apart, but your spirits should be getting stronger and stronger. So the Apostle Paul says. He says, outwardly our bodies are decaying, but inwardly we're getting stronger and stronger as God's Spirit strengthens us. And we need you. Those of you who are in your retirement years, we need you as a congregation to lead us well and to show us how to finish strong because this is not the end of life. This is the beginning of life we're heading towards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for what you're doing here and thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for coming to show us that this life is not about 80 years and then we're out. It's not 80 and out. It's 80 and up. And we move on. And this life is just the beginning. It's just the start. Help us as a church, God, to go to a new level. Help us as a church to live every day as for that day. Help us to be willing to serve and to sacrifice and to sweat and to endure and to do the hard things because it really matters. Because there's something worth living for and there's something worth dying for and it's called forever. We pray this in your name, amen. Thanks, Mike. Ever since I first sir, uh, saw this subject pop up on the, on the sermon list, I was intrigued and couldn't wait for today and this weekend because I know for me, I live so much for the temporary. I need to be thinking so much for the eternal. I know as a church, that's what God's calling us to be, and what a great reminder that was for us today. Inside of your bulletin is a little card that says, let's keep in touch. If you pull that out, we'd love for you to fill that out. Fill that out. If you're our guest today, we're so glad that you've joined us here up at the peak. Uh, we'd just like to know that you were here, so fill that card out, and we're going to take an offering here in a few minutes, but don't feel like you have to give. This is just for those of us who call Rocky Peak home, but if you'd put that card in there, we'd love to know that you were here and be able to welcome you again. So thanks for coming today. Um, would you bow with me as the etchers come forward? God, we just want to live our lives, Lord, for eternity, God. This isn't the end, Lord. This is just the beginning. And Lord, there's so much more that you have for us in store for us, God. And uh, I know for me, it's so easy to get just bogged down and living for this moment and for this thing or that thing or this person or that person. But God, you, 
have made it so clear, Lord, in your word, and so so awesome to hear today, God, that we're to live for eternity, Father. Every decision we make, Lord, every every plan we make, every choice we make, God, is should be filtered through that, God, as we as we think about how we can be more and more like you, God, and as we can imagine the heaven that you've created for us someday, God. God, we look forward to that day with anticipation, Lord, not with drudgery, Lord, but just with anticipation for what you have prepared for us, God. So, Lord, take our worship, and even as we respond in giving tithes and offerings, Lord, take this time of worship, Lord, and may it honor you, God, and may you use what we give, Lord, to further what you want to do in this world, God this church, God. May we imagine all the amazing things you have planned for us. I pray this in your name, Jesus. I will be going home soon. My plane is nearing the airport. I can feel the nose of the jet dipping downward. I can see the flight attendants getting ready. My wife, she's somewhere in the parking lot parking the car, hustling to the terminal. I'll be home soon. My plane will land and I'll walk down that ramp. I'll hear my name, I'll see her face. I'll be home soon. You'll be home soon too. You may not have noticed it, but you're closer to home than ever before. Each moment is a step taken. Each breath is a page turned. Each day is a mile marked, a mountain climbed. You are closer to home than you've ever been. And before you know it, your appointed arrival time will come. You'll walk down that ramp and approach the gate. And then once inside the city, you will see the faces of the people waiting for you. You will hear your name spoken by those who love you. And then, before all the crowds, the one who would rather die and live without you, he will reach out his pierced hands, and in his embrace, he will welcome you home. I can only imagine. What it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only I can only imagine I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun I can only imagine when all I will do is forever forever worship you
stand up together. After the service, we always have a prayer ministry back by the doors uh, towards the back. If you'd like prayer for anything, just feel free to make your way back there. There'll be some people with name badges who'd love to pray with you. I was trying to think how I wanted to end this service this week, and I thought to one of my favorite stories from the Chronicles of Narnia from C.S. Lewis, the last battle, the last book. You know, the four children have gone into this parallel universe. They've grown up there. They've become kings and queens in Narnia. They've conquered kingdoms. They've ruled people. They've fought battles. And now Aslan, the great lion, who represents Christ, he comes to them and he says, children, it's time for you to go home, back to London. And of course, they don't want to go because they're kings and queens and they've come to love Aslan. But there's no arguing with Aslan. And so he sends them back. And before they know it, they suddenly appear. They're on a train back in London, sitting next to their parents, speeding along in this train. And then suddenly, they hear the screeching of the wheels, the tumbling of the cars, and there's this crash on the track. They're in a train wreck. When they wake up, they see Aslan again. And now they're totally confused. They were just with Aslan. They came back, and now they're with Aslan. They asked him what had happened. And he said, that while there was a real railway accident, your father and your mother, you're all, well, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, you're dead. The school year is over. The summer holidays have begun. The dream has ended. It's morning. For them, it was only the beginning of the real story all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's where we're headed. That's our future. You see, the end of this life is not the end. It's the beginning. And this life well, it's all about the next life. May we run there as a church together, understanding that God has put us at this time and this place, not for ourselves, but to make a difference and to win the battles and to win the souls that will go on for eternity. That's what it's all about. I hope you can join us next week as we wrap up this series. We'll go into law number 11, the law of the resurrection. If you want to rise to a higher life, you're going to have to die a deeper death. That's just the way it works. We'll see you next weekend.